0: Okay, we'll begin this evening with a little review from chapter one. Obviously, in this chapter, you all, we've got the main um, setup for our entire story. Of course, we got when the story of Ruth takes place, which, as we saw, was in the time of Judges, a pretty horrendous episode in the history of Israel. And this is where this beautiful story takes place. We get the characters. We met Elimelech, who, if you remember, his name means God is my king. And we see in this crazy time, this man doing the right thing on behalf of his family. They leave the land. They go to Moab, which is where Naomi meets Ruth, who becomes her daughter-in-law. And at the end of that story... Or at the end of that chapter, they had made their journey back to Bethlehem. So, we're going to read chapter 1, and then like last week, we're just going to dig in verse by verse. So, in your copies, you have the ESV version. You're welcome to follow along there, or in your own Bible. This is Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's. A worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Bless the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord. "'whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead.' "'Naomi also said to her, "'The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers.' "'And Ruth the Moabite said, "'Besides,' he said to me, "'you shall keep close by my young men "'until they have finished all my harvest.' "'And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, "'It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women.' lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word, and God, we thank you for your word. Lord, open our eyes tonight that we might see wonderful things in this story. Father, I pray that our hearts be good soil to receive what you have. Lord, I pray that if there is any hindrances to us hearing what you have for us tonight, Father, I ask that you remove those. Any worries of our day, any thoughts of what we have to do after this, Father God, may we just be open to hearing and receiving your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I told you last week we were actually going to start this week with the last verse of chapter 1. So this is in your notes. This is chapter 2 or verse 22 of chapter 1. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So they're returning to the city from which Naomi left, and it's the time of the barley harvest. On your papers there, you have a Hebrew calendar, and you all, this is going to be very helpful throughout this story and in Esther as well. Okay. So if you look at your chart there, you see in the bold, these are the months of the year on the Hebrew calendar. Inside, obviously, are months. The inner portion of the circle is when all the harvests take place. Okay. So if you look here, the barley harvest you can see is in the first month of the Hebrew year, the month of Nisan, which is for us mid-March. Okay? So this gives us another time marker in our story. And something I want you to be very very open to is our story so far, you all, in Chapter 1, has spanned over 10 years. We don't know exactly how long, but all of a sudden, the pace is going to really pick up. Okay, and it will continue that way through the remaining chapters. And I believe it's because it's a hint of something deeper. Okay, we talked about that last week, this word Ramez It means a hint of something deeper. Ladies, this book is full of hints of something deeper. Okay, so... On the outside of the calendar, and here's a little connection. This is on your paper that you can explore this week on your own if you want. Leviticus 23, you have laid out all the instructions for the seven Jewish festivals. Okay? So they're around your calendar here. And what's important to know about these festivals is that these were appointed days by God to commemorate Um, God to show him honor for what he had done, okay? So, still celebrated today. So, these times are important for Israel, but you all, for us, what is so amazing about each of these festivals is it also shows the overall message of the Bible, Because every one of these festivals um, hints or foreshadows or symbolize some part of Jesus' birth, his death, or his resurrection. Okay? So you might want to explore that some this week. The most probably well-known that you're familiar with is obviously the Passover. You are the exodus from Egypt and how that came about that we looked at a little bit last week when the 10th plague of Egypt, in direct response, you all, to what Pharaoh had done, okay? He had called for every Hebrew son to be thrown into the Nile. You all imagine that. Our sons... Hard to get our heads around here. That's what he called for. Two, two midwives. It talks about in Exodus one, three. Maybe um, two midwives refuse to do that. Okay, Um, they're named by name. This is not in your notes. This just hit me today, you all, and it about blew me away. And I can't say one hundred percent for sure this is true. Because I didn't get to read the rest of Exodus yet today. <laughs> but I think these are the only two Egyptians called by their proper names. The most important person in the world at that time was the Pharaoh of Egypt. We don't even know his name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yet we know these two women... Who were Hebrew midwives? You think they were important to God? <laughs> you think he blesses those who bless Israel? Oh, that gives me chills. <laughs> that is amazing. Ladies, our decisions are important. This decision by these women caused their name to be remembered forever. So amazing. Um, So, anyway, amazing things in all these festivals. So, if you have a chance, dig in a little bit today. But this is the setup now for chapter 2. We are right at the beginning of the barley harvest. So, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, here's an example, you all. I'm actually giving you this in your notes in the King James because I believe they, the word that's used in the King James gives us a little more information than the ESV. Um, in the King James, it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz get a lot of information here. So far, everyone in our story, all we have is their name. Here we're given his name as well as some descriptors. And I think the narrator is saying, I don't want you to miss this one. Okay, I'm going to give you his name, which is important. Um, His name means, in him there is strength. That's pretty good by itself. But we also have some descriptors of him. We're going to hit each one of them. First off, it says he is of the clan of Elimelech. Now, remember what we looked at last week, okay? Um, and we followed through. You know, we did a quick little survey of the whole Bible, pretty much, up to this time. You have Abraham, okay? Obviously, the everlasting covenant that God made with these people was through Abraham. Abraham has two sons, of course, Ishmael and Isaac. Of course, the covenant is confirmed through Isaac. Isaac also has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Again, the covenant goes through Jacob, not Esau. And Jacob has 12 sons who become the nation of Israel. This is still today the nation of Israel. When the land was being divided, all of the tribes were divided into families and clans. So the amount of land each tribe got depended on how many families and clans were within the tribe. So we know Elimelech was in the tribe. Anybody remember? Judah. Judah. So Elimelech is in the tribe of Judah, okay? And Boaz is from the clan of Elimelech, so also the tribe of Judah. Going to be mighty important later when we get into some genealogy. Um, So just a thought here. He's the clan of Elimelech. We know what Elimelech means, okay? A man following God at a time not many other people were, okay? So could it be this man from the same clan is doing the same thing? I think we're going to see that he is. Okay. So there is always, you all, there is always a remnant of true believers. Okay. Always, no matter how bad things get. This was a horrible time. The days we live in are quite similar. But you all, there's always true believers doing the right thing. So he is described as a mighty man of wealth. That word mighty comes from the Greek gibber, I believe. It means strong and brave and also has a connection to the word wealth. And then the word wealth comes from the Greek shayel, And you all, this is not just money, okay? Wealth means resources. He was a man of resources. Money was only one. He had strength, ability. We're going to see power. He was a man of valor, incredible character, and position. So... He had a lot going for him, okay? And this is who he is. So what I want to introduce you to, and probably so many of you all know this anyway, but Boaz is known as a type of Christ, okay? And this gets into something called typology, which I want to explain. And from this word, we get things like prototype, which just means a model for something else, okay? So when you hear typology, typology simply means a biblical type is a person, place, or event in the Old Testament that has its own significance, that's very important, but it also prefigures a person, place, or event Later in the Old Testament or in the New. For example, you have Jonah who emerges out of the belly of the fish after three days. Okay? That three days is signifying the same thing much later when Jesus emerges from the tomb after three days. Okay? You all, the number three is worth getting a concordance and looking into the third day is an amazing day. Whenever it's used, something amazing happens on the third day. Okay? Um, a couple other examples here, uh, because I believe when you get a hold of this, oh, you all, it is going to open your eyes to some things in the Word that maybe you haven't seen before. Um, for me, what it did was give me an excitement for the Word and never had some some deeper understanding into some things, um, and I shared this in the James, but one of my f- favorite Bible teachers says, God doesn't hide things to keep us in the dark. He hides things in our his word for our discovery. Always oh, so fun to discover things, and I've got a few down here for you. Um, One of the probably easiest to see pictures of typology is, of course, the story of Abraham and Isaac. We have Abraham, the father, sacrificing his own son. Mm -hmm. Took three days, three days from the time Abraham was given that instruction until he got to the place of sacrifice. Think about that. That means Isaac was dead to him for three days. Can you even imagine that walk, knowing what was going to happen? And then Isaac, who we usually get our picture of from little um, Bible storybooks where Isaac looks like he's about five years old. Y'all, he was a man. He was a man. I'm sure he could have stopped this had he wanted. He willingly, willingly was going to obey his father at the cost of his own life. You all, what a foreshadowing of our Lord. And some people believe, and I haven't been able to chase this one down enough to say I absolutely believe it, but many people believe that place of Isaac's altar was Calvary. Look into that. It's at least very, very close if it's not the same. okay? Do you think Abraham knew that? Of course not you all he didn't know that story he didn't know that somebody did somebody did oh you all if that doesn't give you trust in this oh my gosh no person could write this no no way um oh typology in Noah's ark all these things are worth digging into all these things Here is the vehicle, okay, of salvation, and it has one door, one door on this huge ark, okay? Um, Everything about that, you all, with the wood that was used, the way he was told to cover it with pitch inside and out, all kinds of interesting things and then the day they go into that ark god closes the door not noah god you all there is a time noah had been preaching for 400 years about what was going to happen okay there is a time that door closes and the choices that have been made are set um, I didn't mean to get into Passover, so we're not going to do these others. I only have one for your connection, but dig into these others, you all. Look up the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, read Numbers twenty-four, four through nine, and and just start seeing what kinds of what kinds of typology do you see? What foreshadowings do you see in these stories of things that are to come? It's quite quite amazing. Um, As we continue through this story, be thinking of Boaz as a type of Christ, a picture of our Lord. I think it might do something to you. Verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So, again, Ruth the Moabite, over and over and over. Um, we are not allowed to forget here who she is and where she comes from. Let me go to glean, or let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. A couple of interesting things here. We have Ruth asking her mother-in-law to do this. This is a new land, new customs, okay? I believe this implies Naomi is teaching her daughter-in-law the ways of her people, okay? And we hit this last week, you all. One of our major jobs, (laughs) our major callings as women is to teach other women. Mm -hmm. Titus makes that very clear. Older women are to teach younger women. And you all, that can be physical age. It can also be age in the Lord, okay? But we should be teaching someone, okay? I believe this is what Naomi was doing for her daughter-in-law and it is going to pay off beautifully for both of them because she does this. So what is she actually asking to do here when she says, can I go into the field and glean? Well, the word glean just means to gather or collect, but the law of gleaning is very specific. So let's all turn to Leviticus 19. And remember, we saw this last week, too. Um, The first five books of the Bible are the books of the law or the Torah, the Pentateuch. The book of Leviticus, which is right in the middle of the books of the law, is the actual book of the law where all the laws are laid out for the people. So Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, this concerns the law of gleaning. Says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge; neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare; neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, meaning the widows and the orphans, and the sojourners. I am the Lord your God. What a beautiful system we have here. You all hear me very clearly. I know we are not under the law. Absolutely not. Not under the law. But I do believe there's some awesome things hidden in these laws that could help with some issues today. One of your applications, you all, Dig into this a little bit. Get out a pen and a paper. Write down some of these words. Look at all what is embedded here in about five sentences. It's almost crazy. Um, we, We get the ideas of ownership, okay, over and over and over. It's your land. It's your field. It's your vineyard. God is not against ownership. We're not told that anymore, okay? Um, this touches ownership. It also touches, more importantly, stewardship of what we have, what we have been given. Um, We get in here, let me find what I have, generosity versus greed. People were expected to give to people who had less than them. Oh, provision for those people and for the landowners it was protection against greed they couldn't keep it all they couldn't um you have entitlement versus work so many things in here just explore it a little bit on your own and again i know leviticus can be a pretty tough book to read and enjoy. But there's some amazing things hidden in some of these laws. And even last week when we got the law of the Leverite marriage, who I totally admit that one's a little harder to get our heads around these days, but you all, it was a law of provision for a woman in desperate need. It was a very loving law. Um so she says, Let me go into the field um, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So this shows us Ruth's understanding of her dependence on the landowner's permission and his kindness. Remember when she's living, you all, the days of the du- judges. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. So do you think all the landowners are following this law? Mm -mm. Do you think this could be quite dangerous? Absolutely. We're going to get a hint of how dangerous in a minute. Um, But she goes out anyway. She wants to provide for herself and for her mother-in-law. So... Verse three, so she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reaper, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So part of the field, it's my understanding that the fields weren't even marked, okay? Okay. So you're just sort of out here, and you don't necessarily know when you cross from one person's land into another. Another issue that made this risky, okay? So she's out there. Um, I think I might have italicized this in your notes. It's not italicized in the Bible, but this is so important. She just happened to come to Boaz's field? All the places in Bethlehem she could have gone. Boaz's field. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You all, this to me is where this story gets so cool. And I think this is why it is the model for so many stories after it. Okay? Okay. The narrator's doing something very interesting here. He's giving us information as the reader that Ruth didn't have. We know where she is. She doesn't. Okay? And then this word happened. This hap comes from the word mikra, which means an unforeseen meeting or event. An accident, happenstance, or a coincidence. Now, rabbis have a saying that says coincidence is not a kosher word. Meaning, no such thing as a coincidence. A coincidence merely means God is doing something. You just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, God brought her to this field and she doesn't even know where she is. And even better, even better, verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Oh, she just happens to be in his field. And he just happens at that exact time to come back from town to his own field to see her. Amazing. You all, just think of how many movies or novels you've ever read where this is the entire story. Somebody just accidentally happens to be somewhere, and here's the hero. Oh, you all, this is so good. And this one's true. <laughs> Most of the others aren't. This one is true. That is amazing, amazing. So behold, Boaz. Mm. We get the first kind of um, insight into his character here. How he speaks to his servants, how they speak back to him. Obviously, he just a man that gives honor and respect and receives it. Um, So then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Again, on your notes, I left you a little blank here. To fill in, again, I'm going to say I think the King James gets this one a little bit better. Um, not just a young man, King James says, the servant. This is Boaz's servant, not just any old man, any young man. He's the servant in charge of this whole endeavor here. Okay, okay. The whole bringing in of the crops. So he's probably a pretty important servant. He's got a very big job. Mm-hmm. We're not given his name, and we're going to get back to that later. Mm-hmm. Okay, just keep that in the back of your head. So he says again, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So again, we see this. Her origins are listed at least eight times in this story, okay? So, one connection for this week, if you choose. Last week, we read about where the Moabites came from. Mm -hmm. This week, read that entire chapter. Read all of Genesis 19, okay? You'll get the origin of the Moabite people, um several other interesting facts, you all, but we don't want to lose these connections. The narrator of this story, obviously, does not want us to forget who this lady is, okay? So, we can't forget. Um, it says she came back with Naomi, and here's, here's what I want you to get from this, you all. Whatever... She came from whatever she came from, she left it, mm-hmm. she left it behind for something new. Okay, so what things in our lives do we possibly need to leave behind to better serve the Lord? probably a few things for all of us. Sometimes I think in our salvation stories, because we don't have a physical leaving of one place to another, we can sometimes bring in some things from our old. Maybe... Hang on to some things that she didn't have a chance to hang on to. They were just gone. We do have that chance. So we need to examine those things. What things do we need to leave behind? Give up once and for all for something that is truly better. Um, So we know... Boaz would have been very knowledgeable of, familiar with the people of Moab. He would have known their history, okay? He would have known their practices, their culture, okay? Because we see in Deuteronomy 23:3 through 5. it's actually forbidden for Jewish men to marry Moabite women. Okay? So look at this law for a minute. Go to Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 5. It says, No Amorite or Moabite, the same two people groups we saw last week, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Baor, from Pether in Aram, Naharim, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. If you did the connections last week, you would have seen this story, the Balaam and Balak story, and how they used the Moabite women. Very interesting. But if this wasn't enough... Jump back up to verse 2. I kind of have it out of order here. But look at 2. It says, No one born of a foreign marriage nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. So this girl, he's already caught her eye or... She has already caught his eye. Thank you. He knows it's forbidden to marry a Moabite woman. Okay? And spoiler alert, if you haven't read the whole book, they end up married. So, what happens here? This woman that is not supposed to be... The husband of a Jewish man. Okay? This tells us two very important things. Number one, we're going to see here, you all, God can use anyone he chooses. Anyone. Ruth is a very unlikely heroine from a very unlikely place. And the Bible is full of unlikely people that God has chosen to use. So for a connection, read through Hebrews 11 this week. This list of people, I will say some of them are on there, and you're like, oh, yeah, I can so see why they are on here. Mm -hmm. And there's a few in this list where you almost scratch your head. And you're like, what? Why are they on there? And you're going to see in this list, you all, Here we have a Moabite. On that list, you have a Canaanite. That's amazing. That's amazing. You all, have you ever thought you're not good enough to be used? Have you ever thought or felt you're not from the right place? You don't have the right gifts or talents. You're not this. You're not that. You all, whatever it is that ever goes through your mind, it is not who you are. It is not where you come from. It is who you serve. And that is enough. That is enough. Second truth I think we get from this, you all, is that we are about to see That God's kindness extends beyond Israel. There's three groups of people in the Bible. Okay? You have the Jews. Obviously, God's chosen people. The one he gave the covenant to. The covenant that is still intact today. Okay? Then you have the Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody who aren't Jews. And then you have this beautiful group of people that we see much later introduced, but I think we get a picture of here. We get the church. The church is anybody, Jew or Gentile, that comes to know Jesus as Savior, Jew or Gentile. She wasn't supposed to be good enough for him, you all. He chose a Gentile bride. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Are, are you getting this here? A Gentile bride. So let's look for a second at some typology we have so far in this story. And there's a little place in your notes there where you can write these down. Boaz, as we've already said, he's a type of Christ. We'll go to Ruth next. She's the Gentile bride, she's a picture of the church. So, what does that make Naomi? She's Israel. She's Israel. She got displaced from her land. Ruth could have never met Boaz if it weren't for Naomi. Yet Ruth actually meets him first and then introduces him to Naomi. <laughs> you all, it's like all the history in this teeny little book. Kind of amazing. Amazing. Um, now we don't want to forget here. Th- we don't want to lose the story you all because this—it these were real people. Real people in history at this exact place and time. Okay? We don't want to lose the story, but we also don't want to miss that this story can show some deeper things. So, verse 7, this is back to what the servant is saying to Boaz. He continues, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reaper's so she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short break. So sheaves, keep in mind, were bundles of grain and stock that had already been tied up to be transported. Okay? Now, if you remember, in the law, mm-hmm. the people were allowed to come in and pick up what had been dropped or left behind. The sheaves were already ready to be transported out. These were the bundles already gathered. This was the really good stuff. And she's saying, can I glean? Can I get things among the sheaves? Did she know that wasn't allowed? Or was she asking for something more? I don't know, but I find that interesting. Okay, that it wasn't just what was being dropped. So, verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth. Now, Boaz is talking directly to her. So, something just happened here. Some time has gone by between verse 7 and verse 8 that we're not privy to. Again, another one of these times where I wish we had some more details, okay? But verse 7, Boaz is hearing about her from his servant. Verse 8, he's talking directly to her, and we're going to see he knows some things about her, and he's already done some things on her behalf. So we don't know exactly how much time here, But something has happened between these two verses. So he says to her, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young man have drawn. Oh, you all. He's offering her very special treatment. Number one, she's allowed to stay in his field. She doesn't have to go anywhere else. Okay? She can stay in one place. Number two, she's allowed to follow them immediately. She doesn't have to wait, I I presume, until everything's done for the day, and then she goes in. She gets to follow right after them. And even her immediate needs are taken care of. Do you think all these gleaners got to go get water? He's taking care of her, providing for her, and then... Most importantly, I believe, what can we imply from this command? Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Something he was doing during this time, you all, was getting around to people saying, leave her alone. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to tell you a very quick story because I, I don't like to do a lot of personal stories because this is all about this. But I'm going to tell you this one because this was so meaningful to me. First time I went through this book and kind of got a hold of this, I remember just praying. I'm like, Lord, how, how many times have you protected me that I am totally unaware of? Just clueless too. How many times have you made provision for me? And I thought maybe I was doing it. Or I thought maybe it was a coincidence or happenstance. Didn't even realize it. So I was just thanking God at this time. And then my girls came to my mind. My two daughters. And I thought. How many times has someone with evil intentions toward them not been allowed to do something because he has said, oh, no, don't touch her. She is mine. Oh, you all that brought me to my knees. This is our Jesus. That's just so beautiful to me that this is a picture of who he is. Uh, And this is what he said on her behalf. Wouldn't you love to have heard this conversation? Wouldn't you have loved to see him in the field doing this? (laughs) And he knew we we get from this, he feels pretty confident it's not going to happen. Haven't I told him not to touch you? Okay, he's, he's not out there watching everybody. So we see again, this man is a man of power. When he says something, it happens. So she is safe. So in verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I want you to take notice here of her posture, her attitude, and her response. Okay? She falls on her face. She bows to him in recognition of who he is. And her very first words are words of gratitude. Think about our stance In front of our Lord on, She was on her face Total recognition Of who he is Not taking that for granted Not, for, not forgetting it And her words were words of gratitude. Did she have some things to complain about? My goodness, she had lost her father-in-law, her husband. She was in a new land knowing nothing. She's out in a field working all day long, hard, physical labor. And yet no word of complaint, even though she probably knows she's caught his eye. Okay, so then she says, what have I done that you should take notice of me? This is actually a Hebrew play on words that means you've noticed the unnoticed. Mm. Have you ever felt unnoticed? Have you ever felt looked over? Oh, such a story for us. Um, Not only did she get noticed, y'all, she got noticed by the most important, powerful man in the whole town, I believe. But you all have been noticed by the most important, powerful man in the universe. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. A little application here. Um, First of all, just think about that. Think about your response to his noticing you. What is your posture? What is your attitude? What are your words to him? Think about that this week. And then if you want to do something that I think is kind of fun... Um, read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. We all know that. It's the worthy woman. It's the virtuous woman. It's the chapter you read and you're like, oh, gosh, help me. Jeez, help me. Okay? But like I said last week, we believe she was actually Solomon's model for that chapter. Okay? And then... Take a look at Proverbs 7, 5 through 27. Okay. Here we meet a very different woman. Okay. We'll just call her the Proverbs 7 woman. (laughs) She is quite the antithesis of the Proverbs 31 woman. But what I want you to do is I want you to think of these two women. We know Ruth's response to Boaz. Read about her and think about, what would her response be? How many women in Ruth's circumstances, now knowing they have the eye and the attention of the most powerful man, do you think most women would react the same way? Or do you think they might take advantage? Could they possibly manipulate to get what they want? Think, read about her, compare these two woman, women, and see if you think this lady would act the same as Ruth. I probably learned more about women studying out Proverbs 7 than I did Proverbs 31. And you talk about humbling study. Um, it's a good one for any of us. So, Boaz answers her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Um, Her reputation preceded her. Her decisions were made known to Boaz, okay? And that's how Boaz knew what kind of woman she was before he even met her. Our reputations precede us. People can get to know things about us, you all, before they even meet us, okay, by our actions By words they overhear, by seeing things in our life, Uh, our decisions are important, our actions are important. People take notice of them. And obviously, our Lord knows them. So, he says, um, May the Lord repay you. He knows only the Lord could make restitution for everything that she had lost. She had lost everything, okay? But his prayer is that the Lord repay her. And then he says, repay you with a full reward. This comes from the Hebrew word "mascaret," and it means compensation commensurate with loss. However bad the loss is, the reward is all the greater. Okay? So he's asking for something big on her behalf. Okay? I don't know if he knows at this point he's going to be the answer of that prayer. That's kind of cool. But that's what he asks for. And this word is the same root as the Hebrew word sakar, which we see in Genesis, when the Lord... Promises Leah her wages. He's promising her a full reward. And her promise was sons. Okay? Oh, talk about a woman who was unnoticed by her own husband, and yet the Lord repaid her. Um, so, 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. There's a very interesting little phrase in here. He passed to her. In the Hebrew, it is esabat which implies he did this with his own hand. If, if this is true, if this is saying what I think it's saying, here we have this group of people taking a break. Not only is Boaz with them, he passes her food with his own hand, what do you think everybody thought (laughs) now probably everybody knew she was noticed okay and you all crazy this is the only time this word is in the Hebrew Bible the only time now we know how this works in that sometimes things are repeated over and over and over again why because we need to get them Okay, sometimes opposite, things are only put in once. And that means, oh, there's something significant here. Okay, so I, I don't know exactly how that would have played out, how that would have looked, but it was something very special. And it made me think, and here's a connection here. Read through John 4. 3 through 42 on your own this week. What similarities do you see in Jesus offering the woman at the well some water and what Boaz is offering to her? I think it's something more than a piece of roasted grain. I think it has huge significance. And again, You all, she doesn't presume on this. She does not take advantage of it. She is not haughty. She's not now showing off in front of the other women. She merely goes back to work. Okay? A true picture of her. And also, you all, I think we get a pretty awesome picture of Boaz, too the master of the land if she caught his eye could he have taken advantage of her obviously obviously a wealthy powerful man taking advantage of a woman who heard of such a thing (laughs) (laughs) so I think we really see some character in in both of these people so 15 15 When she rose to glean, again, she's going back to work here, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Okay? Some translations say um, pull out handfuls on purpose. Okay, so here he's saying, not only is she to get the things you accidentally leave behind, the good stuff that you've gathered, throw some down for her and let her get them and don't rebuke her. Oh, gosh. Again, she doesn't know he had done that. Look at the care and the provision there. Get get the best that I have. Get the best that I have. What my own servants have. I want you to have it. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. This equates to about 30 or 40 pounds. I don't even know how she carried that. But. Obviously, she's gotten a lot. Um, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she left over after being satisfied. So she brings back her gleanings and the leftover lunch that she had had. Okay? So obviously an extraordinary amount And her mother-in-law says to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man that took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Mm. Just imagine how Naomi felt at this minute. Oh, gosh. Oh, snap, probably some hope, probably a revival of hope here. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And here we see um, this idea of a close relative, okay? The King James calls it a kinsman, again, that, that gives us a little more insight into what this is. And also she says he is one of our redeemers. So if you slide these two things together, you get a kinsman redeemer. And this is the purpose of this entire story the kinsman redeemer. Who is that? What does he do? Okay? We are not going to dig into it right now, and not because it's not important. It's crucial, but we're really going to hit that next week when we get into the law of the kinsman redeemer. So, Naomi's blessing here, um, she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, okay? So this blessing anticipates two different things. Kindness to the living is going to actually be demonstrated in the marriage, okay? Kindness to the dead is going to be seen in the proliferation of a limelex line, okay? And then she says... Um, when she blesses that, you all, when she says that blessing, her wording here is very ambiguous. Okay, look back at that sentence structure in verse 20. May he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who is she talking about here? Is she talking about the Lord? Or is she talking about Boaz? I think she's talking about both. I think it's both. We're going to see the Lord most definitely will not forsake her. And Boaz doesn't either. So here we get the foreshadowing in here. The very last of what she says The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Hmm. So, not the only one. And here we're going to find a plot twist. And next week we'll see there's somebody in line before Boaz. Someone has a right to this before he does. 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field... You may be assaulted. Again, ladies, just something that's repeated several times in this one chapter. Okay? We, we need to know what she has been saved from. And 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, flip back. Your calendar there. So they arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, which to us would be mid March. And now we know she gleans in this field all through the barley harvest as well as the wheat harvest. So now we are in mid-May. Okay. So we see the time frame of this little bit here, several months have gone by. Okay. Chapter one spans over 10 years. Here we have just a few months, okay And the story will continue in the subsequent chapters for the pace to be very quick. From here on out. So next week. We're going to hit. The kinsman redeemer. And and see another. Beautiful aspect. Of this story. So let's pray. Father God again. We are so thankful. Lord thank you for your word. Thank you for everything everything you give us in your word. God, we are here because we want to know more of you, because we want to know your word. Lord, we want to understand you more through your word. Father, I pray this week as we dig in, as we glean from your word, God, throw us some handfuls on purpose. Lord, give us something extra, something we're not expecting. We thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray, Lord, I'm sure in a room with this many women, there are women in here who have felt unnoticed. God, I pray that you remind them this week that they have been noticed by you. God, may they may we all get a hold of that wherever we are. I thank you for this, Lord. I praise you for this. I continue all I pray that all throughout this week you continue, Lord, to just bring things to our mind that we are learning and that you are showing us that we can apply in our lives, Father God, so that we can become more and more like you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.